them from their distress. He led them by a straight way Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good Some sat in darkness and the deepest gloom, prisoners suffering in iron chains. For they had rebelled against the word of So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled, and there was no one to <clears throat> Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of the darkness, and the deepest gloom broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent forth his word Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works Father in heaven, may you add your blessing to this reading that it may be a joyous place in our hearts for you, O Lord, for what you have given to us and what we have faith in seeing in the future. This we ask in the name of Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Please be seated. We have an addendum to the uh, announcements also, uh, uh, the prayers for Jared and his heart surgery. It has been moved uh, to this Thursday on November the 2nd. That's correct. Okay. And Jared, our prayers will be going with you on this. And, uh, we will look forward to a, a very successful outcome. Can I have you stand back up and open up to 379 in the hymnal? 379 in the hymnal. In the brown.
be seated. Ed, you were the first hand that I saw, only hand I saw. Just across the page. <laughs> All right. Just a talk <coughs> with the 380. Our scripture reading for this morning is taken from the book of John, chapter 15, verses 5 through 12, and that'll be page 1677 in your pew Bible. When you come to that, please stand with us. 
John 15, 5 through 12. <clears throat> I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Will you take your hymnal again and turn to number 271, 271 in the brown. Thank you. 
for now, I guess. Our scripture text this morning is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 5 and following. Last Lord's Day, we considered the negative incentives Christ gave in John 15 for people who do not remain in him. Basically a promise of punishment, talking to us as believers. God's actions we looked at, he'll cut off, this is all um, horticultural language, branches being cut out of the vine and so forth. Cut off, discarded, they will wither, he'll pick them up, throw them into the fire, and they'll be burned. So pretty serious for us to know that in Christ we're to remain in Christ. We're not to deviate. We're not to apostatize. This negative incentive assures us that there is a hell. And it's not a place for fun and games. But rather a place of eternal torment from the justice and holiness of God. Thank you, brother. Today's study outlines the positive incentives for remaining in Christ. And as we come to this in our text, let's ask the Lord's enablement. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to preach your word, and thank you for the truth of your word. You could just let us go the way of all men and die in our sin and spend the rest of eternity under the judgment of God. But thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for the men like John. In this case, John in particular, one of your disciples, walked with you, talked with you, lived with you, ate with you, did preaching with you, all of these things. And here he is the last of the apostles. All the rest of the apostles are dead and gone. And John alone is alive as he writes his gospel And what does he do? He tells us those intimate things about Jesus and the gospel and the ministry of the word that none of the other uh, apostles talk about. There is a bit of overlap, but not much. We're so thankful for John's gospel that he does this. He was called the gospel of, or the disciple of love, And you can see that. We can see that coming through the text all the time. The way he addresses things. That he has this high respect for his Savior. And wants so much to be able to serve the Lord in truth and in righteousness. So bless the word to our heart. We're privileged to have a copy of his writings and of his exhortations. Lord, may we be prospered by it. In Christ's name, amen. 
In our last study, we looked at negative incentives to remain in Christ, God's actions. Today, we want to look at the positive incentives for remaining in Christ. If you look down through the text, we note that our Lord's teaching is balanced. I think we would expect this. Christ first motivates us to remain in him as disciples by issuing a warning. Don't do this. Don't be there. Don't follow that particular philosophy and so forth. But he does not end there. He goes on to add positive incentives for remaining in him and to bear fruit for God. This is, I think, his great emphasis. It's going to be more positive than negative. And I think that's a truth generally in the scripture. Our Savior would have us motivated more out of love for him than out of fear of him. You know, that's a different way of leading. There are tyrants that lead by fear. And they carry a big stick, as it were. And the people are afraid to disobey lest they come under great judgment. But Christ isn't like that. He wants us wooed by our love for him and love for the truth. This is acute to us that our own teaching should emphasize the positive and even in exposing sin, there must be the positive goal of bringing sinners to the place of repentance and faith in Christ. So as we look here, the first positive incentive Christ gives in our text is the promise of answered prayer. Look at verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. You will say, well, I thought prayer was a duty. And another will say, well, I thought prayer was a privilege. Well, you're both right. Prayer is both the duty and the privilege of every true child of God. But note in our text, that Jesus is not so much talking about the act of praying. That's not the incentive that he offers. No, he's talking about answered prayer. Oh, there's an incentive I can sink my teeth into. He assures his people will pray. He assumes that. And then verse 4 shows that there is a dependency on the branch on the vine. This itself makes prayer essential. The incentive, however, is that when we ask, it will be given you, is what Jesus says. And this assurance of answered prayer is the reward that Jesus holds out to his disciples to spur them on in their perseverance. The dependence of the branch on Christ makes us pray. The promise of answered prayer makes us a willing dependent. 
So observe that this incentive has two conditions. Number one, if you remain in me, ask whatever you wish. The promise of answered prayer is contingent upon remaining in Christ. You know, there are many people who storm the throne of heaven with their petitions who themselves are strangers to the one that's seated on that throne. And yet they expect to receive answers to their prayers. The world is a praying world. I don't know if you know that, but they are. But so much of the world's faulty concept of God reveals itself right here. I mean, God is viewed as some great and powerful benefactor whose sole reason for existence is to satisfy the whims of the human race. Yet this is a presumption of the highest order, for God's ears are not attentive to the prayers of those who are not submissive in heart and mind to Christ, his Son, the living Word. That wipes out a lot of prayers, doesn't it? You think of the world praying. Let me give you some examples of the fact that there's no guarantee that because a person prays, their prayer is going to be answered by God. Proverbs 28, verse 9. If anyone turns a deaf ear to the law, and that's the law of God, even his prayers are detestable. Did you get that? Proverbs 28, verse 9. If you don't pray according to the word of God, your prayer is detestable to God. Well, that doesn't sound very good, does it? Detestable? I thought all prayers was good. were good. We're supposed to be a praying people. Again, Proverbs 15, verse 8 and 9. The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him. Ah, oh, there you have the other side of the coin. The Lord detests the way of the wicked, but he loves those who pursue righteousness. Think of David when speaking of the wicked. He says, when he is tried, let him be found guilty and may his prayers condemn him. Oh, I never thought the prayer would condemn us. Psalm 109, verse 7. Now, if any of this surprises you, consider the Bible's prerequisite for coming to God. Hebrews 11, verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, God. For he who comes to God must believe that he exists. Well, there's a condition that wipes out a lot of prayers. Well, who are people praying to? It's not the God of the Bible. Well, then who? 
idol gods, idol concepts of God, constructs made by men themselves. James, in talking particularly about someone praying, says this, when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. Wow. He is double-minded, a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Oh. Then prayer must have the prerequisite of faith. You have to believe that God is going to answer. Yet Paul describes the unbelieving as, let me read it for you, turning their ears from the truth. There are people that want nothing to do with the truth, but they're going to pray. 2 Timothy 4, verse 9. Again, 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 12. Those who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness, or Titus 1.14, those who reject the truth, they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Doesn't sound to me like God wants to hear from those people till they get right with God concerning their sin and their activities. Bottom line, those who would claim this incentive of answered prayers must know that it is conditioned upon being in Christ and remaining in Him. The believer has the assurance that God hears and answers His prayer. You might ask, well then, is there no prayer whatsoever that an unbeliever prays that God will hear and answer. Well, not exactly. There are incidents in the Bible of the unbelieving calling out to God and God hearing and God answering. For example, God heard Israel as an unbelieving nation he heard them cry out for deliverance from Egypt. And in response, God sent Moses to deliver them. Again, he heard Hagar's cry in the wilderness to save herself and her son Ishmael. Again, he heard Cornelius' prayer. Cornelius was a Roman centurion and he, God sent Peter to preach the gospel to him and his family. Acts 10, verse 4. So there are occasions in the scripture where someone who is not a believer prays to God and God hears their prayers and reacts accordingly. What's the answer to all this? Well, 
The answer is that God responds to those who humble themselves before him and sincerely cry to him for help. This was Israel in Egypt. Let me read it for you. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. It's right there in the text. That's why he's listening to Israel. Some of this praying is simply a request of God for temporal savings. This was Hagar's prayer when she and Ishmael were in the desert and they were dying of thirst. So they prayed. She prayed. Some pray for God to save their souls. So it's a spiritual request, as with Cornelius, who was seeking God. So these incidents of God being merciful to the afflicted and the penitent does not contradict our text. But what we have in John 15 is God guaranteeing an answer to prayer for those who remain in him. That's uh, quite a bit of difference in praying. The unbelieving have no such guarantee. The best they can do is hope that God will hear and answer. This was the king of Nineveh. Upon hearing the judgment of God preached by the prophet Jonah, here's what he said. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Jonah 3, verse 8, verse 9. I call this kind of a hopeful faith because of the way the king worded this. Who knows, he says. God may relent. That's the best he could hope for. But God heard the Ninevites, and they were spared. Psalm 34, verse 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. This is the encouragement of the Bible to any here, who sense that all is not right with your soul before God. While the Bible says that God is opposed to the proud, 1 Peter 5, verse 5, here's a verse that says he's close to the brokenhearted. I like this verse better. And so the first condition for guaranteed answered prayer is to remain in Christ. There's a second condition. 
Jesus says, if my word remains in you, ask, and it will be given you. If it is true that many an unbeliever has been presumptuous in assuming that God exists to grant them every little whim which they demand, it is equally true that many a disobedient believer has been presumptuous to assume that he or she may ask whatever they want without giving consideration to the will of God. They take the last phrase of the verse, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. And they forget the first part of the verse which lays down the conditions if you remain in me. A statement requiring perseverance. If my word remains in you. A statement on the criteria by which perseverance is determined. The word of God must be our guide in serving Christ. Well, how can a believer know that he or she is persevering with Christ? Well, only as he or she is able to recognize obedience in his or her life to God's commands, his laws. How a believer can expect God to answer his prayer while there is willful disobedience in his life is a mystery to me. Now, we're not talking about perfection of obedience. We're all sinners, and we're going to be that till we get to glory. But there's sin, and then there's sin. Because there are believers who are sold out to it almost. It's like saying that God is a pushover. That he and his word doesn't mean any more to him than it does to us. David, as a believer, said, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. Psalm 66, verse 18. David knows something about praying that we should. God said to Israel, his chosen people, when you spread your hands out in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Notice, will not. Not cannot, but will not. And I say, well, why not? God goes on. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Isaiah 1, verse 15 and following. And the implication is this. Then I'll listen to your prayers.
Let none here believe that John 15 verse 7 is a blank check to be filled in by anyone who professes Christ. The condition of Christ's word remaining in you, that condition must be met. And this means that you are obedient to the teaching of Christ and you do not make it your practice to blatantly disregard his precepts. Will people remaining in Christ and seeking to obey his teaching ask for things simply to gratify their own lusts? James in his epistle, James 4 and verse 3, calls such prayers sin. Again, will a person indwelled by Christ's Spirit and seeking to obey his precepts ask for things which have no bearing upon God's revealed will for us in the Bible? Will he or she Ask for God's blessings on a marriage, let's say, to an unbeliever when such mixed marriages are condemned by Christ. Will he or she ask for riches or wealth or power or fame when Christ taught his people to be content with what they have from God? And that we're not to lord it over others because we are all brothers and sisters in the faith. No one of you should be trying to be the king or queen over the other person. Why? Well, that sounds an awful lot like the world, doesn't it? You all heard the expression, we live in a dog-eat-dog world. I was watching the movie one time and this person was hiding in a cave in the west trying to stay out of the storms of life and so forth. And as nightfall came upon that particular part of the country, these wild dogs began to move in and surround the cave and eventually get bold enough to start coming in to the caves. This young lady had a pistol. She knew how to use it. The first dog that came into the cave, she shot it dead. The second dog that came in, came in to get the dead dog. Dog eat dog. No loyalty. Just cut you down. Tear you down. That's the world. We are blinder than the blind man in John 9. If we think it's any different, for even he confessed. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He goes on. He listens, God. He listens 
to the godly man who does his will. John 9, verse 31. And the Apostle John explained, This is the confidence we have, approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. John 5, verse 14 and 15. It's getting the hearing with God, folks. Getting the hearing with God. John was among the disciples who heard this teaching of our text that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he proved to be an able student. God's will is revealed to us in his word. And so if Jesus' words are in us, so is his will. And we, possessed by an obedient heart, will not ask God for just any old thing that pops into our heart. The same truth is taught in John 14, verse 13 and following. Jesus said, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Oh. Answered prayer is conditioned not simply upon asking, 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 but upon remaining in Christ and making requests as a believer well-versed in and obedient to God's commands. Here's a good way for all of us to know that we're asking according to God's commands. Read in the scriptures what God's commands are to his people, and pray those back to God. You're on safe, solid ground if you do that. We don't have to invent things to pray about. There's plenty in the scriptures that talk about our sin, things, areas of obedience, areas of service, so on and so on. It's all there. And it applies to our age and our culture. And God will help us sort it out. So this is a glorious incentive to remain in Christ because it is a promise of Christ's presence. He is as near as a prayer to those who are abiding in him, evidenced by obedience to his word. Near to us in life and near to us in the day of our dying. David walked with God. He memorized the scriptures. He studied them all his life. Listen now to his assurance. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. 
for you are with me. Psalm 23, verse 4. Many of God's people have given similar testimony in the hour of their death. Richard Baxter, famous Baptist, turn of the century, on his deathbed testified, and I'm quoting, I have a well-grounded assurance of my eternal happiness and great peace and comfort within. When he was asked by a friend, well, how are you doing? How are you feeling? His answer was, almost well. Almost well? Yeah, he understood Paul's anticipation when Paul told the Corinthian brethren, I would prefer to, I'm reading scripture, I would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. I'm almost well. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8. I think Paul, while at Corinth, knew his death sentence was just around the corner. So he speaks this way. I would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. John Janeway was a young man who, upon entering the ministry, preached but two sermons. That's it. Two sermons, and then he was taken deathly ill. On his deathbed, after his brother had just prayed for him, he said, Oh, he is come! He is come! How sweet and glorious is this blessed Jesus! Come, look on a dying man! And wonder, was there ever greater kindness? If this is dying, it's sweet. The bed is soft. Behold a dying man, more cheerful than you ever saw a man in health, in the midst of his sweetest worldly enjoyments. Extremely unusual. The man had that kind of faith. I would say that many people of the world would give all of their fortunes to know how to die like that. Yet being disobedient to God, death is a terror to them. And never being in Christ, never remaining in Him, death is their enemy for in acts as his doorway to a Christless eternity in hell. That's what death is for them. Baxter knew something of this dread of death in the hearts of the unbelievers who came to visit him in his last days. And so he told them, 
You come here to see me to learn how to die. Whoa. You come here to learn how to die. I'm not the only person who must go this way. I can assure you. That your whole life, be it ever so long, is little time enough to prepare for death. Be sure you choose God for your portion, heaven for your home, God's glory for your end, and His word for your rule. And then you need never fear that we shall meet in comfort. Am I speaking to any here today who yet in stubbornness resist Jesus Christ, God's Son? You want peace when you die, but I tell you, you can't have it, though you pray hard for it. Job 27, verse 8 and following. Job writes, What hope has the godless when he's cut off, when God takes his life away? Does God listen to his cry when distress comes upon him? Will he find delight in the Almighty? Will he call upon God at all times? I will teach you about the power of God. Here is the fate God allots to the wicked. He lies down wealthy, but will do so no more. When he opens his eyes, all is gone. Terrors overtake him like a flood. A tempest snatches him away in the night. And there's no use to praying after death is overtaking your body. The prophet Isaiah writes in 38, verse 18 and 19, the grave cannot praise, praise you, God. The grave cannot praise you. Death cannot sing your praise. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, they praise you as I am doing today. While you breathe the air God gives you, you may call upon him to engraft you into Christ, the true branch. This is a prayer God will hear. This is the only prayer he will hear from you until you are 
his child. You don't get to function in the court of the prince until you are a prince. Ah, but to all here today who are already abiding in Christ, those in whom God's word is written in heart and mind, you ask Christ what you wish, and it will be done. Ask for grace to live in these difficult days, and it will be given. Ask for dying grace in that hour, and Christ will be there. The psalmist says, Come and listen, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. God was surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. Psalm 66, verse 16 and 5. I tell you, this is a marvelous incentive to remain in Christ. To be assured of answered prayer is more than the world can ever hope for. Second, not only is this incentive a promise of Christ's presence, but it is a promise of his power. You've all seen the bumper sticker, I'm sure, which reads, Prayer Changes Things. Or maybe the bumper sticker that says, Prayer Works. This is to suggest that any prayer to any God, or maybe to the saints themselves, that those prayers change things. But the Bible does not teach that prayer changes things. It is God who changes things. And if a person is praying to some phantom deity, like the Baal worshippers on Mount Carmel in Elijah's day, they can pray from dawn to dust, which they did, and nothing will change. But when we are remaining in Christ, pray to God in Jesus' name, under his authority, God's power is placed at our disposal. And Paul linked the two together in Ephesians 6, Verse 17 and following. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Notice how Paul connects the word of God with prayer. And not only so, but prayer with perseverance. That's the abiding aspect we're studying in John 15. He also calls the word 
of God, the sword of the Spirit. And he says, pray in the Spirit. A sword? Now, wow, that's an instrument of power. And the Word of God, when part of our prayer life, praying according to God's Word, and with the goal of seeing God's Word fulfilled, that has great power present in our lives. Of course, to pray like this means that we believe in God's Word. We have faith in the God behind the Word. We see Him as one who cannot and does not lie. We see Him as one whose Word always accomplishes exactly what it says. So faith in God taps into God's power. Jesus put it this way, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer. Matthew 21, verse 22. If the word of Christ abides in us and we in him, the doubting part will be nullified in us to the extent that we are ruled by the word. If you accept God's word at face value and act upon it, your faith will experience the power of God. Those with God's word abiding in them have the power to deal with indwelling sin. Does this not also agree with the prayer incentive? Much of our praying is about our sin, is it not? Or it should be. That special prayer time in the evening is prayer for renewal, dealing with our sin. By the way, the men of Bible days prayed much about their sin too. I mean, we have the example. David admitted, I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight? Psalm 51, verse 3 and 4. One of the most godly kings Israel ever produced. But here he is talking about his sin and his transgressions ever before him, ever before him. Ezra prayed, Oh my God, I am too ashamed. I am disgraced. To lift up my face to you, my God, because our sins are higher than our heads and our guilt has reached to the heavens. Ezra 9, verse 6. Nehemiah prayed, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, hear the prayer your servant is praying before you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have not obeyed the commands, the decrees, and the laws that you gave your servant Moses. Boy, he just laid it right out, didn't he? Job put it this way, my ears had 
had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Job 42, verse 5 and 6. You get a glimpse of God and his holiness and you will be like Job on your knees praying. I will be on my knees like Job. The list could go on. Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah. These men and others prayed about their sin, yet they were some of the most godly men who walked upon the face of the earth. Their lives, by and large, epitomized obedience to the scriptures. God's word was in them. Their prayers were answered. Sin was defeated in their lives, and God blessed them. Can you think of a better incentive to remain in Christ? To abide in Christ will work great advantage for you. Your prayers will not be hindered because Christ will be present and his power will be available to you. And to know, I mean, to be guaranteed that your prayers will in fact touch the heart of God is a reward for abiding in Christ beyond comprehension. And if we know, writes John, that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask for. 1 John 5, verse 15. It is not presumption it is not presumption for us to speak so speak so dogmatically so assuredly about this for we have a word from Christ to hang our assurance on what is it if you remain in me and my words remain in you ask Whatever you wish, and it'll be given you. The first positive incentive for remaining in Christ is the assurance of answered prayer. When we meet as a church on Wednesday evening for collective prayer, We're not just wasting our time. We're storming the courts of heaven. And we're doing what Christ said we should be doing. Asking. Pleading. For resolve. We're looking for the assurance of answered prayer. Do you have this assurance when you pray? If not, why not? Are you praying for things which have no approval of the word of God and you know it? 
Are you using God like a free shopper's spree at a department store to satisfy your greed, your desires, your lusts? You won't hear such prayers. Are you a child of God today? Grafted into Christ as a true branch? If not, maybe that's the reason your prayers go unanswered. The world doesn't seem to know that. And it's a sad commentary. A lot of believers don't know that either. Your first and only prayer needs to be about your relationship to God. Get that straight first. You need to seek his forgiveness and his mercy and ask for his faith to believe in his son, Jesus, as your only hope for heaven. Settle these matters today and you will see a great change in your prayer life. You will find yourself asking God for things approved in his word, and you will find yourself the recipient of answered prayers. There's no greater blessing. Oh, when I talk to God, when I pray to him, guess what? He answers. The world can't say that. They pray away. Religious can't say that. They pray away. And it's as though the heavens are brass. You can only penetrate the brass and reach God. But they can. Because their prayers don't have God's glory in view, nor their own spiritual good in view. It's the gimme game. Gimme, 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 gimme. And God knows it to be so. So he says, away from me, you who love lawlessness. May the Lord teach us the essence of prayer. Humility of it. Give us the positive incentive answered prayer when we pray for things according to his will. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word and ask that you would please bless us with an understanding of it. Help us not to be so self-centered that the things we pray for are the gimmick group of things that the world has in its mind. Help us to pray for others Help us to pray for our spiritual needs like we see in these authors of the scripture, Daniel, Moses, Nehemiah, others. They're praying about their sin. They're praying about, Lord, that you would change them and make them men that glory bring glory to God and men who are seeking to live righteous lives devoid of intentional sin. Bless us with that kind of motive too, we ask in Jesus' name, for your own glory, Lord, for your own glory. Amen.
from the Brown Hymnal. Number 506. 506. stand with me when you find number 506 in the brown really changed us by nature in our birth we were born sinners opposed to the truth of your word not a friend of God but an enemy as the scripture says taking all of that into consideration oh God you sent forth your son that he might pay our price 
that he might enter into the judgment of God for our sin. And it's because of him and his cross work that we are redeemed, as we have just said. We thank you so much for this. We honor you for it. We love you for it. We pray that you will bless the truth of your word to our hearts. Give us a good week as we serve you this week. Be with those that are ill and suffering. Be with Jared in his surgery that's coming up. Very important. May we not forget to pray for him. Pray for others as well. That you might indeed show yourself the mighty God that you are. The one we worship and adore. Amen.
Amen. Yeah, 